Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. Today is Sunday, December 27th, 2020. This will be our concluding sermon for 2020 and our final message in the Metamorphosis series. And this sermon is going to be entitled, Metamorphosis, No Remedy. Look, we've been talking to you about metamorphosis for a while now, several weeks, multiple services. We first started talking to you about a metamorphosis that's needed on a very personal level. How we all start off as Joab. We have our own agendas. We've been drawn to something, but we have our own thoughts about the way things should be done. And through shepherding, we move towards Abishai, where we're able to understand something differently. But the goal on the personal level of metamorphosis is that we become Ittai in every single area of our life. That foreigner who decided to see the true king and give his life, give his family's life, give his generations for the king that he saw. Is there any tie in the house? Yes! Oh, what a privilege it is to be in the house of God, just as Ittai was. Our series of metamorphosis continue with the path of the Messiah. You remember Psalm 22, we talked about the suffering king. That progressed to Psalm 23, the shepherding king. It landed in Psalm 24 with the superior king. And as we join who Jesus is, we go through that same transformational process, joining him in that superior resurrected power. So we've talked about metamorphosis on a personal level. We've talked about metamorphosis in understanding the path of the Messiah. We've even come to a place where there's been a metamorphosis in our understanding of the purpose of the pressings of hardship. They are evidence that you are being saved and that the wrath of God is on those who would persecute you. This metamorphosis is important because it leads to a change in an area. Amen. Church, today we're going to speak to you about a metamorphosis that's needed in your perspective. Everybody say perspective. Perspective. We need a metamorphosis in our outlook in our expectations for the future and for what God is holding for us. You guys heard a right word on the front row this morning. It is exactly what we're going to be preaching about. God is prompting our hearts. He's getting us ready because he is going to help us to have a metamorphosis in our perspective today. I want everybody to turn with us to Jeremiah chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 22. Jeremiah 4 and verse 22. Say no remedy when you get there. Come on, listen as we read the word of God. Amen. My people are fools. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Wow. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. That's the wrong kind of skill in case you missed that. They do not know how to do good. I looked at the earth, listen to this, and it was formless and empty. And I looked at the heavens, and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains, and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked, and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked, and the fruitful land was a desert. All its towns lay in ruins before the Lord, before his fierce anger. This is what the Lord says. The whole land will be ruined, though I will not completely, I will not destroy it completely. Therefore, the earth will mourn and the heavens above grow dark because I have spoken and will not relent. I have decided and will not turn back. 
Wow, do you hear the, the power behind these words that the Lord is giving him? See, sobering. Very sobering. Should be eye-opening, paying attention and, and being alert to what God is doing. See, as God is giving Jeremiah this vision, it begins with recounting two sins of the be believing community, my people. Number one, they forsook the spring of living water. And secondly, they dug for themselves cisterns which cannot hold water. What Pastor Piro says is so true that you can find that located in Jeremiah 2. After giving those two sins as a pretext for why God is doing what he is doing, you arrive in the fourth chapter, which we're reading from today. And judgment is being pronounced that is unavoidable. Look, this reminded us of a quote from a founding father. Thomas Jefferson wrote most of the uh, Declaration of Independence and wrote uh, a portion of the United States Constitution. He was considered one of the wisest minds in uh, the founding of this country. Now, with that in mind, listen to what he's quoted as saying. I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. If these words from Jeremiah 4 were spoken to a nation that memorized the Torah, if they were spoken to a nation that knew the word of God but did not understand his workings and did not care to hear his counsel, what would be said to a nation that mocks God's word? See, church, as we were beginning our sermon today, it's important to understand that although God is forgiving, his justice will not sleep forever. The church should be the very first to rise to this understanding. The bride of Christ should be the first to understand this and rise to the occasion. In fact, in this passage in Jeremiah 4, it is reminiscent of Genesis 1. Did you hear some of the phrases that were used? It even mentions the same words, tohu and vavohu. Yeah. But we want, to know, want you to notice something. It's headed in the wrong direction. <laughs> God's word is always intended to bring light, to bring order, and bring healing. However, when God's word is minimized, ridiculed, ignored, and mocked, society turns to tohu, and judgment is therefore inevitable. Yeah, see, in the word, there's always hope. Uh, but the hope is not that judgment can be avoided. In our time, it's being preached almost as if there is no judgment, or if there is a judgment, it is escaped. Our hope is rather that judgment is not annihilation. A remnant is always expected to endure the judgment, agreeing with God, saying, Just and true are your ways, O Lord, so that they are formed into his image. The judgment becomes a dividing line between those that will not repent no matter what and those that are in a constant state of repentance saying, what you're doing in the earth is right, Lord. Amen. Help me get right and in step with what you're doing. Amen. Church, this is an incredibly sobering thought, as our pastors have already said. But we want you to understand something. Jeremiah wrestled with this concept. See, if you're in here just easily nodding, then I don't think you've understood exactly what we're getting at. See, because as your pastors and your elders, we're wrestling with this word. And we're resolved to come to grips with the truth of God's word in our day, in our time. Yeah. Let's see how Jeremiah continues on. Let's look at Jeremiah 5 and verse 3. And out of honor of Zeke Lamb, we're going to do this in the NASB. Okay. Okay. There we go. 
O Lord, do not turn, do not your eyes look for truth. You have smitten them, but they did not weaken. You have consumed them, but they refused to take correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to repent. Then I said, they are only the poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord or the ordinance of their God. Do you hear Jeremiah's struggle here? I will go to the great and I will speak to them, for they know the way of the Lord and the ordinance of their God. But they too, with one accord, have broken the yoke and burst the bonds. Therefore, a lion from the forest will slay them. A wolf of the deserts will destroy them. A leopard is watching their cities. Everyone who goes out of them will be torn to pieces because their transgressions are many, their apostasies are numerous. Church, are you hearing how much Jeremiah is struggling, how much he's wrestling with this? Uh, But Lord, they're only the poor. They're foolish. They don't really know. They don't know your word. They don't know your ordinances. See, Jeremiah is looking for a way for judgment to be avoided, and you're reading it right here in Jeremiah 5. That's a natural feeling, isn't it? Very. I mean, we don't want to see judgment come on people until you realize what judgment will do in the earth to cause the bride of Christ to be who she's supposed to be. Oh, man. Look, in addition to, to beckoning for the poor and the foolish, Jeremiah is also speaking to the great, those who are supposed to know the way. But what he has found of the poor and lowly is also true of the leadership that's present. Shocking that the sheep would have the same malady as their poor blind shepherds. Wow. Look, they have broken the yoke. They have burst the bonds. Their sins are many. And did you hear that at the very end? Their apostasies, numerous as a result of this. Look, uh, it would be so easy when reading this to simply put this off on another dispensation, to put this off on another nation. Our theologians love to do that. It's, it's a way to, I don't know, scratch somewhere back here. And uh, the thing is, the thing is, is church... Isn't this true of our nation? When you see the most exalted leaders, are they not abusing the word of God? Yeah, and so are the people that are following them. God's justice will not sleep forever in this. Is is not the state of the larger uh, majority of people the same as what Jeremiah is describing? Of, of, Of course it is. At some point... This brings the unavoidable judgment of God. It's not about a presidential election. It's not about the latest social trend. It's about a sinful tidal wave that has been growing in a tsunami for a couple thousand years. And at some point, we reach the place where God allows lions to slay, wolves to destroy, leopards to lie in wait. He allows people to be torn to pieces. Look. We're wrestling with this whole idea. And the reason that we're wrestling with it is because what we would like to tell you is God bless America. What we would like to tell you is Jesus forgives all your sins and Pedro is going to be president. We'll make all your dreams come true. (laughs) We'd like to just sit around and eat tater tots and watch Napoleon Dynamite. But the reality is... In the 17 and 1800s, this is all preachers were talking about. And it was responsible for the first and the second great awakening in this country. 
Today, there is no awakening because we've acted as if this will never happen here. And that is a huge problem. What we're speaking about is true of our nation. It's true of the larger world in general. And it's also specifically true about Israel. But we're concerned with you here today. Church, we're not quite sure which one is worse. To be in Jeremiah 5 and him say that these people are supposed to know what the truth is and they're not doing it. And this group of people just don't know what the truth is. They don't care enough to even be concerned about what the God of all creation has said. When we show more fear and reverence for the coronavirus than we do the impending judgment of God, we're inviting God to act. We are daring him to act. We're acting as if he doesn't see, as if he's not watching. Now, in this room, we know that you are awakening to the workings of the Lord in every way. What we want to wrestle with, and you're going to hear Jeremiah do this in the next uh, passage we're going to read to you, is there is a response that we have to start to understand. And the drop-down list of Jesus' responses that you have in your Christian programming They may not be correct, and we're going to have to understand the times and have a proper word for the proper time. We want you to wrestle with it and see that this prophet himself, who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, is still wrestling with the adjustment that has to be made. Let's look at Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 14, and we're going to begin in verse 11. Say no remedy when you get there. No remedy. Jeremiah 14 and verse 11 says this, then the Lord said to me, now I know you're getting adjusted, you're still turning in your Bibles, I need you to catch this, this is the word of God and you need to catch this today, then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people, stop the presses, can you imagine ever a Christian saying that, can you imagine a prophet ever saying that, can you imagine yourself hearing that word from God? And yet, this is as inspired as John 3.16. We're going to have to learn to recognize what God is saying and when he's saying it and not have pre-programmed responses. Then the Lord said to me, do not pray for the well-being of this people. Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry. Though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Instead, I will destroy them with the sword, famine, and plague. But I said, alas, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them. You will not see the sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you lasting peace in this place. Then the Lord said to me, you hear this discussion? The Lord is speaking and Jeremiah says, yes, but what about this, Lord? And then the Lord said to me, verse 14, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or pointed them or spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about the prophets who are prophesying in my name. I did not send them, yet they are saying, no sword or famine will touch this land. Those same prophets will in fact perish by sword and famine. And the people they are prophesying to will be thrown out into the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and sword. There will be no one to bury them, their wives, their sons, and their daughters. I will pour out on them the calamity they deserve. 
What you should be hearing in this conversation between Jeremiah and the Lord, you should be hearing how hard this is for Jeremiah to grasp the word. He's hearing the Lord, and the Lord has to keep coming back to him. See, you need to grasp. You need to understand how difficult this is because we believe that we're in the same situation. Yeah. I think we're approaching it now. You're going to have to make the same adjustments that Jeremiah does throughout the book of Jeremiah. Hmm. The understanding is that the judgment coming on the land was certain. Do you notice how many times throughout these scriptures you see the word will? This will happen. This will come upon you. Yet the majority of leaders were acting as if God would not do it. They were proclaiming the exact opposite. They didn't understand the times or God's workings. And unfortunately, it's the exact same condition today. That leaders do not recognize what is a certainty of God's judgment that is approaching. In Jeremiah 5, uh, he's concerned, but what if, uh, what if they're just poor? What about the great? In Jeremiah 15, he's like, but listen, they're being lied to. The leaders are lying to them. You can hear that Jeremiah is like, hey, don't hold them responsible for what someone else is doing. In every case, God is saying they're all responsible. And don't you worry about those leaders who are leading them astray. I am going to make sure that the leaders suffer from their false prophecies. The very same things they're saying won't happen will happen to the leaders first. Listen, it is incredibly important that you understand something. The false leadership of Jeremiah's day, they were kings. They were priests. They were high priest they were prophets don't think that these were pagan false priests these are people who are quoting a word that was historically true but not appropriate for the time they were in in other words just like satan accurately quotes psalm 91 but he is misapplying it in jeremiah's day the religious leadership and the people gravitated only to the parts of God's word that they found appealing. And they ignored all of the parts of the word that present God's justice, that demand a holiness in the people. Are you beginning to see why we're concerned about our day? You can turn on TBN and hear all day long God loves you, that he wants to prosper you, that you should be rich, that you should be healthy, that you should be all of those things. Where is the historical cry of God's people that says the judgment of God is going to come and we must ready ourselves? Amen. It's missing. And we must wrestle with the same thing Jeremiah is. What happens when it becomes unavoidable that it will fall on it. How many million babies do you have to kill before you've got God's attention? Church, we've become convinced that this is the right word at the right time, and it's going to produce a right result inside of you. Mm. See, Jeremiah is wrestling. Are you starting, is this starting to cause you to wrestle with some of these principles in your own heart? See, he had problem with this word. The idea that the Lord says, do not pray for them. Put yourself in those shoes for just a minute. Uh, Pastor, will you come and pray for me? No. Go live in the warmth of the fire you've lit for yourself. Go and suffer the judgment that is due you. 
See, what we're saying is that these are difficult things. These are that we're saying to people that God is at a point. We are not just mocking large churches because we have we have a small man complex. We're listening to the messages that these men are preaching. We're listening to what's going on in their pulpits and we're saying that is not the word of the Lord. That is not the right word at the right time. That is a false prophet. If I could be completely honest, if it were just the large churches doing this, we wouldn't talk about it at all. It's true. It's not. It's every storefront church. It's everywhere that we go, the pendulum has shifted in Christianity towards only love, only forgiveness. God would never judge. No act that we see in the world anywhere is the result of sin. Our God is a loving God who would never allow anything that is remotely harmful to you to happen. That is an unbiblical heresy. And we're not hoping for difficult things, but we are hoping for what they will achieve in us when they occur. Amen. Look, church, you can can even go to Christian bookstores, and when you see what's on the shelf, it's proclaiming these exact same heresies. We're going to get the right word for the right time. God is giving us exactly what we need. 1 Timothy 3.15 says that we... The church of the living God are the pillar and foundation of truth. We must represent God, ridding ourselves of sinful sympathies. It's time to embrace the concept that judgment will remove the sinful dross, but it will simultaneously refine the silver and gold. Oh, man. You know, if you're ever tempted, and in this church I doubt very many of you are, but it could be, and I know some listening online will. Yeah, but that was Old Testament. Well, how many chapters do you get into the book of Matthew before you see John the Immerser stand up and say, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? First, go produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And by the way, you leaders, you're actually a brood of vipers. That's New Testament, my friends. Yeah. But let's go to what God says to Jeremiah next. Because you start to see Jeremiah make an adjustment, and we're going to do the same thing, and we're going to see extraordinary results from it. Amen? Amen? Jeremiah 15 and verse 19. Yeah, no remedy. I'm just, uh, I know that it's a sobering message. I also know y'all have eaten too much over the last few days. You've done all kind of stuff. I'm going to ask that you rouse yourself, okay? Because this this is an important word for our time. And clearly we're not doing it to fill up large uh, rooms. We know very well that we will be hated for preaching what we're preaching. And I'm excited to do it anyway. I'll see it as prophecy fulfilled. (laughs) Jeremiah 15, 19. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, and the you here is Jeremiah. If you, Jeremiah, repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Understand that God is charging Jeremiah with sin for not agreeing with the judgments that God is bringing on the people. I mean... Yeah, he's been saying things like, Lord, um, discipline us, but don't do it in your anger. Forgive me, friend. What would make you think that you're a better judge of whether God is acting righteously or not than God? 
this comes from a misunderstanding of God's character. It happens when we see him in a monolithic light. He only does this. He's always this. I assure you he is more complex than you are. You should embrace that idea and learn what he is speaking in the spirit of our times. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you, Jeremiah, repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you. But you must not turn to them. Come on, that's a timely word here. good word. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. And in its context, every person we are speaking about is inside the so-called believing community. None of them are outside of it. Are you seeing the correction that Jeremiah had to make? He had to repent. He had to begin to utter worthy words. He could not turn to the popular majority, but had to stand firm on the very standard of God and stand tur- and, and rather turn towards the righteous remnant and the righteous standard of God. That was what Jeremiah had to do. He had to make that correction in his own heart and in his own life. And I can assure you, if Jeremiah, the national prophet, had to make this correction than we do too today. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Church, we will heed the words of Jesus. He says that you will be handed over. You will be persecuted. Our expectation is that betrayal will be the hallmark of our day. It'll be the very thing that demonstrates that the love of most has grown cold, and we embrace it. In the midst of the coming difficult days, And we're not just talking about 2021. This has got nothing to do with our placement in the solar uh, uh, orbit. This is about the spiritual discernment that we feel growing in us. And the coming difficulties of the the days ahead, we are going to learn to say, just and true are your judgments, O God. That's, that's, That's what it means to be in a righteous remnant. And there will be Rahabs all over the world that recognize their city is under destruction and they will flock to this righteous remnant. They will flock to the same king of Israel that we are serving. But judgment for this world, it's unavoidable. And it needs to be talked about. We need to tell people the judgment of God is coming. If you read any work from the 1600s, like the classic Pilgrim's Progress, the whole story opens with you must flee from the city of destruction. The judgment of God is coming. We don't hear it anymore because the people have no appetite for it anymore. And it's hard to build large churches or churches of any kind if you are preaching it. But it is the apt word for our time. Amen. We're going to come to our key scripture next, and then we're going to clinch, we're going to turn, and we are going to mount an offensive. We want you to hear 
among the very last verses in the Hebrew Tanakh, I mean placed at the end of the law prophet's writings, right at the end, a statement. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and we're going to start in verse 15. 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 15. Say no remedy when you get there. No remedy. Come on, we need everybody to get there. Here we go. Verse 15. The Lord, the God of our, their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked God's messengers. Mocked. They despised his words. Despised. And scoffed at his prophets. Scoffed. Until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. Say no remedy. No, no remedy. remedy. See, church, as in the days of Jeremiah, the Lord sent word again and again and again through his messengers. Pastors already outlined that through the Great Awakening, through multiple revivals in our country's history. That was hundreds of years ago. Again and again he speaks. He poured out his spirit at the Azusa revival. They, again and again he's speaking. This is a, a, a brick from that very spot to remind us of the power of God being poured out here in our land. Right here at the center of this altar. See, again and again the Lord has sent his word. His patience, God's patience and his compassion for his people have been displayed over centuries. Over centuries of time. If you just zoom out just a little bit from your own life, you know that that's true. You know that God's words to us even this morning is that his blessings, his favor has come. But what have we done with it? See, he is showing his passion and patience to us over a long period of time. See, whenever you have God giving his word over a long period of time and people begin to mock it again and again and again, despising his words, scoffing at the prophets. In fact, Pastor Wade mentioned Azusa Revival. You know what the hallmark message was of the Azusa Street Revival? Repent. And it was calling for people to repent. And in the midst of that call for repentance, people were doing the exact same thing then that they're doing now, even more so. They were mocking the move of God. They were despising the words and scoffing at the prophets then as well as they do now. As it progresses in, in this passage, they did that until the wrath for which there was no remedy was aroused. Say no remedy. No remedy. Is that a scary thought? It should be. A sobering thought? It should be. So the Hebrew Tanakh closes with, with the passage that his wrath was aroused until there was no remedy. And the answer, of course, is the Newer Testament when Jesus Christ is the remedy. We are repeating history Except the remedy is not his return. That is the finality of all things. The remedy is Jesus Christ fully formed in you. And you stand up and show the people how to respond to God. It's why we're yeah. preaching about metamorphosis. It's why we're yeah. talking about a personal path that follows the Messiah. It is how we are 
the thing for which the enemy has no remedy. Amen. To the Amen. extent that we are like Christ. Look, throughout biblical history, it was not only important to have a historically accurate word, but it was also important to have a timely word that reflected God's heart in a very specific situation. In other words, you needed the right word at the right time. I'm going to give you a couple examples of it done wrong. And Pastor Wade is going to show you examples in the Bible. Have you ever played scripture roulette and opened your Bible just to see if you get a word? Oh, yeah. Uh, Jesus wept. Okay, is this God's word? Yes, it is God's word. Is it historically accurate? Yes. Is it inspired? Yes. Is it God's word to you in this moment to tell you how God feels about your situation? Absolutely not. See, if you take from that that all God wants is for his people to weep, you have misapplied God's word. What would you do when you come to the passage that says, be joyful always? Pray continually, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The word doesn't contradict itself, and yet the word must be rightly applied Amen. to the right situation at the right time. Have you ever done this and flipped it open, and it's like, and Judas hung himself? Are you going to take that as a word of God for you? I, I, we, we do it again. And what you do, do quickly. See, what we need... Yeah, consider the ant and how he moves to and fro. I mean, what we actually need is not a database just of God's word. We actually need an ear to his counsel room and know what in his word he is saying to this generation right now. And I assure you, he is not just hugging and kissing and, and dancing and skipping on the beach with this generation. There's scarcely ever been a more ungodly time in this country than there is right now. Before we put up this next slide, I want you to understand we've, we've referenced Azusa Street today. That was about 100 years ago. A little bit over 100 years ago. Well, the message in that day was repent and I'm going to pour out my spirit to you. And the Lord did in a revival kind of fashion. Yet again, speaking to us. What is different from his word about 100 years later is now there's... <laughs> the only hope that you have is to sustain yourself through the judgment that is coming. Let us show you yeah. how that cycle repeats itself over and over and over in the word. We have a, a slide for you that helps you to understand the right word at the right time. Somebody say 100 years. 100 years. Okay, that's going to be key. Jonah, chapter 3 and verse 10. Jonah is a prophet and he is sent to what city? Nineveh. Nineveh. And it says this, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, God relented, and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. You guys remember Jonah. He didn't even want to give that message. He didn't like it because he knew what God would do if he gave the message. About a hundred years later, look at what Nahum chapter 1 says. Now this is Nahum. Jesus ends up living and having his base of operations in Kapar Nahum, the city of Nahum. This is the man about a hundred years after Jonah, and listen to what the Lord says. The Lord is good. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. A refuge in times of trouble. Say amen again. Amen. amen. He cares for those who trust in him. Come on, amen. Amen. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. 
He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. What a difference a hundred years can make in the word of the Lord. Jonah had the right word. He was so confident in it, it bothered him. He didn't want to, he tried to run away, and yet God still brought the word to the city of Nineveh, to the enemies of God, and brought salvation, and brought restoration. But in Nahum's day, there was no way to get, a, to get out of the overwhelming flood that would come and bring an end to the very same city. See, you got to have the right word at the right time. Both of these prophets of God, both of these heard from the heavens, both of these gave the message that was right in their day, that was right in their time. Look, as Matthew gets ready to lead us through the next slide, consider something that is very difficult, okay? What happens if Nahum shows up 100 years early and speaks the word that God had given to Nahum in the scripture. He would be wrong. He would be a false prophet. God did not want to destroy Nineveh in Jonah's day. And if Nahum showed up and said that, he would be wrong. In fact, Jonah didn't want to preach the word of forgiveness to Nineveh because he didn't want it to happen. But he, after getting swallowed by a great fish, he did. Now reverse the scenario because it's the one we're in. What if you're living in the days of Nahum when judgment is predicted, but you show up with Jonah's message? Oh, God won't do it if you, if you just repent, if you just get right. See, false prophets do not wear devil horns. False prophets often use the word of God, but they're not in step with the actual counsel and heart of God. And they are legion, both numerically and in quality, all around us. Let's look at this next slide, this other example. Begins with Isaiah 37, 33 through 36. How far apart are Isaiah and Jeremiah, Matthew? They're about 100 years apart. Oh, wow. See that pattern again? All right, verse 33. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I'm sorry, let's make sure we get this. Who says this? The Lord. Okay, so the Lord is speaking here. Concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. That's such a good word, Pastor. I like that word. I want to keep that word. Can I hold on to that word? You can. In fact, you know what? Let's put it on a monument that we can put in the center of our room and worship it forever. Was this word true? Yes. Yes. Now let's fast forward 100 years. Zip. Jeremiah 11, verse 9. <laughs> then, th- who? Who's speaking here? Then the Lord said to me, there is a conspiracy among the people of Judah and those who live in Jerusalem. They have returned to the sins of their ancestors who refused to listen to my words. They have followed other gods to serve them. Both Israel and Judah have broken the covenant I made with their ancestors. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will bring on them a disaster they cannot escape. Although they cry out to me, I will not listen to them. Clearly, Jeremiah... And Isaiah are disagreeing with each other, right? No, No, not at all. They had a right word for the right time. 
exactly the same location, exactly the same people, but a hundred years difference. The, the contrast continues in Jeremiah 19, verse 3. Listen to this. And say, hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah and people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I am going to bring a disaster on this place that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. Wow. When we're thinking about tingling ears... Well, let's get to that. Can we just say that 100 years can make a big difference? It can. Can, uh, can we say that if you are Jonah and Isaiah and you are standing in Nahum and Jeremiah's day, you're going to have to change the word that you have? The same drop-down menu that you've always used, the same four spiritual laws, the same uh, Jesus loves you, it might need to be adjusted, and it's not because God changed his mind. It's because he is addressing the ills of his people. He is adjusting uh, their palate to what will actually fix their problem. The cry of Jeremiah's day is that the prophets were acting as if the wound was not a serious wound. They were saying peace and safety, and they did not dress the wound of the people. In fact, Jeremiah later laments, wow, the visions of the prophets were worthless because they did not ward off captivity. We're seeing the same situation all around us right now, and we want to make the adjustment. But would you like to get to the tingling ears part? Oh, yeah. Yes. Does that interest anybody in here? Yes. Hey, is there an anointed godly husband in here? Just reach over and uh, tingle your wife's ear for a minute. <laughs> uh-huh. The judgment coming will make everyone's ears tingle, is what Jeremiah said. This strange sensation in your ears, like it's difficult to even hear. Maybe this is why Paul warned Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3. 2 Timothy 4.3 says this, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. <laughs> They're not going to put up with the right word at the right time. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I don't like this word. It makes my ears feel funny. Anybody want to scratch for me? Change the word. Just, oh, just change the me. word. Soothe me. The tingling sensation in a man's ears when he recognizes judgment is coming is often soothed by teachers who scratch the ears without ever warning the soul. Woo. Look, I'm going to say that again. Yeah. The tingling sensation in a man's ears when he recognizes, recognizes judgment is coming is often soothed by teachers who scratch the ears without warning the soul. See, we can point to some of those shepherds and look at them and understand that they're false prophets. But do you understand that those people are the, are the very judgment of God? Those individual leaders that call themselves pastors but have nothing to do with pastoring, they are judgment from God on the people in those congregations. The people have itching ears. They want that leader to be there. They're beckoning him to tell them things only of what makes them feel better, of what soothes the tingling na nature in their ears, what scratches the itch. Don't make me feel bad. Tell me what I want to hear. Right. 
It is the people's heart that allows those very men to stand in a pulpit. It's judgment upon God's people. It really is. Look, there's a certainty of something we want you guys to understand. That there is no remedy for this world, its systems, its teachers, or its church leaders who believe that the justice of God will sleep forever. Who do not understand the times. Who do not understand the right word for the right time. But God has a remedy for us. Are you ready to, uh, to make a turn? Are you, are you ready to look at what we must do? Yes. Is anybody a part of those uh, prophecy chains where, like, you get a new fresh word in your email? Don't raise your hand because I'll embarrass you if you are. <laughs> Compare them to what Jesus said. Tell me if you can go find one prophecy in the ridiculous chain of itching ear prophecies that make it to YouTube, that get emailed to you, that you find a way to like, because I mean, it's scripture. They're sending me scripture every day. Yeah, they're sending you the icing without sending you the uh, more nourishing parts of the word. True. Listen to Jesus speak in John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Where is your peace? In him. In this world. Where are you standing right now? In this world. In this world you will have trouble, trial, persecution. You could put the word tribulation here. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Look, for weeks we've been speaking about the need for every believer in this room to make the adjustment, to have the metamorphosis that we are to expect trouble, trials, tribulation as evidence that we actually belong to the real kingdom, to the kingdom of God. Yes. As the Lord begins to pour out his judgments on earth, we will not escape. Instead, we will display patient endurance as his saints, and hey, everyone, they will hate us for it. Look, we're not going to be raptured from responsibility, and we're not going to leave the truth behind in order to scratch itching ears. Instead, we're going to lift up a banner that says those who love not their lives unto death will be clearly distinct from those for whom this judgment is intended. We stand with the Lord no matter what it means for us. Amen. You want to hear that in the book of Revelation? Oh, yeah. Yes. Amen. Everybody get to Revelation 16. Amen. Oh, we have it on a we screen. We have it on a slide, slide for you. You can just look up at the screen. Revelation 16 and verse 5. We want you to catch the import of this. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, You are just in these judgments, O holy one, you who are and who were. For they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond. I heard the altar of God say something. (laughs) It's also going to be what we say here in this room. Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Out Out of all the articles in the heavenly, the altar knows who's actually made right restitution for their sin, who's rightly repented, who brought the kind of offering that would be acceptable. Not a lame offering, not a broken down sacrifice, but something that was worthy of the king, of the lamb of all of creation. They understood, the altar understood something. And that's echoed in Revelation 19 as well. 
after I heard this, what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever and ever. You see within these, uh, these passages how just his nature is. I mean, the very thing that we see in Revelation 16, they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets. In 19, he has avenged her the blood of his servants. That God's judgments are just and they are true. They are certain to come about and they will display his glory through his people. Avenging their blood, avenging the blood of the prophets, avenging the blood of his servants. You see, metamorphosis needed to say yes. It needed to say just and true are your judgments, mighty God. There, there, some say that you're going to be mean when you do that. You're intolerant. You have hate speech. They're going to want to kill you for it. In fact, they will kill you for it. But we will continue to declare the hallelujah and just and true are your judgments. See, here's how this works. You are not appointed for the wrath of God, which is an eternal punishment. You are appointed for the wrath of the wicked, which is very temporal, very right now. And they get more wrathful as God's judgment are poured out on them. They don't like what is happening, and they especially don't like the people that go, Hey, what's happening? It's just. It's true. And you need to repent, or you deserve every bit of what you're getting. That will be considered hate speech. That will be considered intolerant. That is why... People will want to kill you and claim they are doing a service to God. We need to make this adjustment now. Jeremiah spent more than 20 years preaching this to a people prepared for it that did not understand it. So we feel the need to help you understand it. Now, here's the thing. The Tanakh closes with the words, there is no remedy. And that is true. In one sense, there is also no remedy for the answer. The enemy has no remedy for us. If every time a man of God is killed, it only confirms the message. If every time somebody is saved, it only confirms the message. Then whether we live or die, the message is confirmed. He has no remedy for us. But I would like to focus this last part of the message as we move towards action in closing on one essential truth. You are the remedy. Amen. See, the thing is, there is no remedy for the wicked, but we are the remedy for the righteous remnant like Rahab. They hear the word, destruction is coming to this city, and they do whatever it takes to be in the people of God because they agree with the judgments of God. Come on, there is no remedy possible for a group of people who looks at death in the face and just smiles and say, just and true are your judgments. There's no remedy for men and women who stand there and say, yes, God is right in what he does. He's right when he brings judgment. He's right when he brings kindness. He is right in every single thing that he does. There is no remedy for that kind of people. Let's, let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20 and let's figure out how to walk in this no remedy kind of attitude. No De- Deuteronomy chapter 20, and we're going to start in verse 1. Say no remedy when you get there. Are you catching the play on words? No remedy for the judgment that is coming and there is no remedy that the enemy has for you. 
He can't stop you. You are immovable and you are on the move. You have become the remedy for the world. Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1 says this. When you go out to battle against your enemies, it's a sure thing, I, I can assure you, and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, he's with you. When you are approaching the battle lines, the priest shall come near yeah, and speak to the people. That's what your priests, that's what your pastors are doing today. We yes. are coming near to you. We're not phoning it in from a gated community. Right. We are coming near. He shall say to them, hear, O Israel, Shema Yisrael, you are approaching the battle against your enemies sometime in the distant future. No! You're approaching your enemies somewhere off in the distance. You're approaching your enemies today. Somebody today. say today. Today! Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid. Do not panic or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. See, this moves my heart to hear that the priests are coming near, but they're not just coming near to go play a game of golf. They're not coming near to high-five you on your way out to battle. It's the priests who are going to lead you into battle. Amen. That's what the priests in the, each of your homes must do. That's what your priests here standing on the stage are committed to doing. We're going to lead you into battle. It's so much easier to try to preach some end-of-the-year sermon kind of thing that we want to do today. Let, let's make everybody feel happy. Let's talk about resolutions. Throw your resolutions away unless you're going to be resolute about doing the will yeah. of God today. Amen. Look, as your priest, we're standing before you and we're saying the same thing. Do not be faint-hearted. Do not be afraid. Do not panic or tremble before them. You know what all men fear? I'll give you a little hint here. All men fear it, and it has never come, but will always be coming. The answer to this riddle is tomorrow. Tomorrow has literally never been and is always approaching. But we believe the emphasis of Deuteronomy is today. See, if you wake up with a sign beside your bed that says today, it will be true every day that you wake up. If it says tomorrow, it will never be true. We need a today mentality. The war begins today. The instruction begins today. There needs to be a metamorphosis occurring in our spiritual battle lines. Today, not tomorrow. Metamorphosis that says you are the remedy. You are the righteous remnant like Rahab. We flee destruction of her people. And we say, if you want to get saved, get into this house. There's a scarlet cord here. Look, let's take a look at another word in Jeremiah. And it's how God prepared Jeremiah for what he would have to preach. And it will prepare you today. For what you have to preach. Jeremiah chapter 1. Quickly turn there. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 9. Let's look at the origin of the word to Jeremiah himself. The OG word that Jeremiah got. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. Come on, somebody say right word. Right word. At the right right time. Which is today. 
Look at verse 10. See, today, today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. See, God has got his word and he's wanting to put it in put it in our mouths. He's got that right word for us, but it's going to happen today. Somebody say today. Today. Look, today you have been appointed to declare his word. Today you have gone through the metamorphosis process and you are the remedy. Say it with me, church. Say, I am. I I am. The remedy. The remedy. Church, you are the righteous remnant just like Rahab was. You today, you are are the remedy that God has chosen. On the day that God called today, and he put this word in Jeremiah's mouth, and he prepared him. Do you know what Jeremiah still continued to do? Go through a metamorphosis. That's where we started. God was correcting every time he got off path and bringing him right. We can count on the fact that there will be a continual metamorphosis in us if we start today. Look at Jeremiah 1.16. I will pronounce my judgments. Whose judgments are they? The Lord's. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and worshiping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. See, this is the adjustment we need to make. We don't just stand up and pull from a drop-down menu. We stand up and say whatever the Lord is commanding. And to do that, God knows what comes next. So he says, do not be terrified of them, or I will terrify you before them. You ready for it? Verse 18. This is happening in here right now, so pay attention to it. Today, today, I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. Today, we become a fortified, unbreakable wall and pillar. Come on, today it's time to get up. It's time to get ready and stand up and speak up with exactly what God is putting on your heart, exactly what his words say. It's today that that metamorphosis is going on inside of you. You're being transformed. You're experiencing the metamorphosis into a fortified city, into a, a bronze wall, into a fortress of righteousness. You are the remedy, church. You are the righteous remnant that's like Rahab, and you've got to walk in this. Somebody say it with me. Today. 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 Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. We'll look at verse 26. Come on, shout it out now. There we go. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch. Somebody say whole. Whole. Will of God. No will partials. God. No, no selected. Now we're going to change something. This message is called no remedy because there is no remedy for the judgment coming on the world. Because also that the enemy has no remedy for a man who is walking like Christ. Yeah. But we want to finish on a slightly different note. We want it to not be complex. We want it to be unambiguous. Say, I am 
I am the remedy. The, the remedy. remedy. We are going to look in these last verses at how each one of us has become the remedy Amen. that has never existed before outside of Christ because Christ is being formed in you. And we're going to do this over just a very few minutes. So it's important that you grab hold of your personal responsibility to become the remedy by preaching the whole counsel of God's word. Amen. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Paul's day was very similar to Jeremiah's day. You can hear, be on your guard. You can hear wolves are coming. You can hear they won't spare the flock. You can hear the results of the climate around them. But Paul was able to say, Today, Amen. I am innocent of anyone's blood because I have never hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. See, your metamorphosis has allowed you to become the remedy. You are the righteous remnant because you will be a fortified wall that proclaims the whole will of God. Say, I am the remedy. I, I am, am the, the remedy. remedy. Church, we're going to put a slide up on the screen for you from Hebrews 3. In this one single passage, in a few short verses, you understand that what we are saying to you is about today. Somebody say today. In verse 7 he says, so as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing. Just a few verses later, he says the, the same thing. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is yes. called today. We are encouraging you with this concept of today that you are the remedy, that today you stand up, that today you recognize and have a metamorphosis of your perspective. Be encouraged in one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. Come on, that sounds like an LCM kind of message today, yeah. to hold our convictions firmly to the end. And then he says it again in verse 15, as just as it has been said, today if you hear his voice. It's not some time off in the distant future that we need to respond. It's today that every man, that every woman take the full responsibility of being that remedy, of being that righteous remnant, just yes. like Rahab. You yes. can escape the, the corporate, the national destiny, and walk in personal holiness and personal righteousness today. Church, we want to remind you of what can happen today. Today, on a personal level, Joab can be crucified. Yes. Today, Abishai can be shepherded. Today, you can be Ittai, seeing it as a privilege, committed to the king, whether it be life or death. Today, church, you are the remedy. Today, you can engage in Psalm 22, the path of the suffering king. Today, you can engage in Psalm 23, 
the path of the shepherding king. Today, you can see him as superior to everything else, the king of glory, Psalm 24. Today, your path can become exactly the same as Messiah. You are experiencing a metamorphosis so that you are the remedy. Come on now. Today, church, you can have the purpose for the pressings of hardships that are in your life. You can understand what those are doing. You can say yes and hallelujah when the difficult days are there. Today, your purpose in the pressing is to become what the groom is. There is no other pathway. So you get on this pathway today because it is bride building time in our day and time. Church, today, there must be a metamorphosis in your perspective, meaning that today is Jeremiah's day. Today we must resolve to be the remedy by proclaiming the whole will of God. If you're going to proclaim the whole will of God in church you are, then you have to have an ear into the counsel of God. We do not select the scripture we like and avoid the scripture we dislike. We ask him for the right word at the right time. See, when he puts this in your mouth, then you stand up, you speak up, you rise up, You become the remedy that is a bronze wall in a fortified city. Your very life becomes a sign that says God's judgments are just and they are true. Come on, church. Stand to your feet right now. Today. Come on. Stand up to your feet right now. Quickly. Today. Today is your priest. (laughs) We are not perfect priests. We may not even be great priests. But we're going to be good priests before you, and we're going to stand before you today. And we're going to call you to the battle lines. We're going to call you to be immovable even as you move forward. We're going to call you today to say that you are the remnant. We're going to call you today to say that you and I are in the days of Jeremiah. We are in the days of Nahum, and we love it because we were made for this. Today, we're going to say yes, just, and true are your judgments, O God. We stand with you no matter what. Today, we're going to operate as the remnant of God's people here in this place. Somebody say today. For the joy that is being set before you, you smile in the face of adversity to come. For the joy being set before you, you endure any shame that comes from it, and it's not a shame to you. For the joy of what is set before you, you look past your circumstance and see what they're achieving in you and the world around you. This shift in our perspective is something that we begin to embrace right now. This is a people then that cannot be defeated, that cannot be deterred, that will not back up, that will not shut up, that will not let up until we achieve the goal of Christ formed in us and revealed to the world. Today we call you to this standard. Will you rise to it? When the young man prophesied about our times during worship, he didn't know. And yet he heard from the counsel of God. When Marlon read the scripture about arise, he didn't know, but he heard from the counsel of God. You are hearing from the Lord today. And if you set that as your focus every day, calling it today, then you'll never be idle waiting for tomorrow. Now the truth is, is even in this room right now, the vast majority of you are rising to this message. I can see it in your eyes. And some of you have never taken the gospel seriously. 
You at best try to fulfill social obligation by hanging out with Christians. Know something for certain. The judgment of God is coming. The least loving thing that we could do is act like that's not happening. Because if there's a man or woman in this room that does not believe that God will burn you where you stand, you've misunderstood his nature. He would rather save you. But if you mock the word of God through your apathy, if you mock the word of God through the idols that you have allowed to come into your life that replace his word, then you will be destroyed in the judgment that is coming. All around you, what you see are monuments to the truth of God's word. We will stand in the judgment and we will endure through it and be blessed by it because he is actually the Lord of our lives. At this altar, you need to fix your idolatrous problems. At this altar, you need to strengthen your resolve. Nobody gets kind of, sort of, halfway saved. You're either all the way in or you're not in at all. Say, man, I don't know if I'm ever coming back. Then you weren't here the first time. This is the moment where you can take your stand. The wrath of God is coming. And there are men all around us that are excited because we have no fear of it. And there are some of you in here that should be terrified because you're still under it. Father God, I'm asking now that your spirit would move in this room in a way that frees people from the coming wrath.